So welcome to Cake Watch episode 32, um, 32 with me, Chris Kendall, I am a bog standard Eurocrat, um, but that's not important because that's not why I'm here. I'm here as um, a private individual who's annoyed about Brexit and wants to talk about Brexit um, from my perspective as um, a Eurocrat, which is purely coincidental. <laughs> Pro-European, deep roots. Yeah, long-standing Europhile, long-standing, long-standing pro-European. That's why I'm a Eurocrat, actually. Exactly. Um, that other voice you can hear is not Steve. Steve uh, is taking another little break. And with me is returning guest, Nick Crosby. Thank you very much, Chris. Delighted to be here. And if I may offer also a huge Thanks to you and Steve for what you do. Uh, you know, was it Woody Allen said 80% of success is showing up? You show up and you do more. Well, you, you encourage, you inspire, you give information and insights and you do it for love, not money. And thank you so much. Really, really huge pleasure to be back. So that, that's why we've got Nick on the podcast because he makes me feel all special and glowy. Yeah, uh, yeah Nick, with good reason, mate. With good reason. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, thank you. Uh, right now I'm campaigning. I'm campaigning to stop Brexit. Uh, another way of looking that, uh, at that is to say I'm campaigning to keep Europeans together, standing up for what we hold in common, and 2019 is going to be big. Uh, but, but right now it's focused here in Brussels, connecting back to folks in the UK, saying, you know, time to think again, what can we do, let's get cracked on, let's get stuck in. So, so that's what I do now. I used to be public affairs consultant and, and back in the day I used to do other stuff in London in the commercial area. So how long have you been in Brussels? Shockingly long time now. Ten years. Been? I've been back, I say back, I mean I've always been pro-European. I went to the European school as a kid. Did you? And it, Yeah, and it, I was one of the first Brits in actually... I'll bore you with a bit of backstory here. My father worked helping to get Britain in in the early 70s, and I toddled off to the European school in 1973. That's how old I am. I was one of the first Brits in the first European school. So you were there the, the same time as Boris Johnson? He was a bit later in Brussels. Ah, because listeners, you may not know this, but Boris Johnson was also a student at the European school in Brussels. Yeah. And he didn't quite drink enough of the Kool-Aid. <laughs> or he drank the wrong Kool-Aid. Yeah, whatever he drank, he was never going to follow anyone except his own instincts. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're a proper Eurobrat. Yes and no. I mean, we were only there a few years, but mm. it planted the seed. And that's why I'm here in Brussels, just mm. as you're here in Brussels. We're here because we believe in something bigger than than what you may hear about in the UK or on the continent. You know, we're about the deep stuff. And, and, and the deep stuff is the personal stuff. And it's actually yeah. about living, working, loving and growing up with people who are not British and suddenly thinking, you know what? They're just like me, but they're different in a great way. And all the rest of that that flows okay. from that. You can, you can see why you were a public affairs consultant. You've got the spiel. It just flows. Look, you put me at ease. What can I say, Chris? It flows. So, Okay, so, so Nick, so tell us about Pro Europa. 
Well, Pro Europa was set up. It's basically a volunteer organisation. We are we are we are run by the goodwill, time, talent, and energy of people who who want to from Brussels keep Britain in the European Union. And we were set up uh, long before the referendum. After the referendum, I'll be honest, a lot of us were shocked. We were stunned. We mm. re- we sort of retreated a bit. Um, but we've we're re-emerging now because of people here who feel deeply and passionately committed to keeping the UK in and, and as I say, also rebuilding the, the wider European uh, project. Hmm. So we're available here in Brussels. We're connecting to the UK campaigns. And if I can put a quick plug in, if the summit happens and we are expecting it to happen this Sunday, we're holding a gathering at 10 o'clock on Sunday near the Rondpoint Schumann here in central Brussels. Mm. Come along, wave your flags, say your piece. Uh, there's a big contingent from London coming over, possibly including some major MPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Adonis is leading that. Offuk and the student bus will be there. We'll have the bus and maybe 50 students mm-hmm. plus. So we're going to have a lot of fun. And it's a, it's a way of people here in Brussels, Brits and others coming together, joining people from London saying... We want to keep and stick together and stop Brexit, which is sort of two sides of the same coin. Stopping Brexit is what we want to do. Okay, excellent. Good. Well, I, I, I won't be here as usual. <laughs> you'll worst. be there in spirit, Chris, and you'll be sending us tweets. I can't and... speak in other ways. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> Look, um, we have such a lot to talk about. I'm not going to even bother with uh, follow-up this week. Um, we are going to sit here... Um, sip beer and we're going to talk about this bizarre week and just the 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 constantly changing situation where the hell we think we are where the hell we think we're going yeah (laughs) for sure quite sure how to structure this but look let's let's um so it's we're recording on uh wednesday evening so uh theresa may is in is in town she's here she's talking to tusk we presume Working on the political declaration. Yeah. We right now don't know whether there's going to be a summit on um, at the weekend or not, because the latest news that we're getting from various sources is that the um, Germans in particular, Merkel saying, well, why, why am I going to come unless we've got something that's ready to be rubber stamped? I'm not coming yeah. to negotiate. I'm coming to agree yeah. or approve. Um, and the, the interpretation being given to that by various sources is that this is her bashing heads together on the EU side. It's it's her trying to focus minds and stop people from reopening texts and trying to get their own uh, little bits in, just Mm. as much as it's directed towards the UK. In fact, probably more than it's directed to the UK. That's a really interesting point because I hadn't... Well, the first I heard about it being cancelled was actually this evening when I'm meeting with some campaigners planning Sunday and we're sitting down at 6.30 and someone says, oh, by the way, it's possibly off on Sunday. I'm like, okay, um, but that's okay. Um, because if your your reasoning is right there, Chris, then it's as much to, you know, corral the 27 as it is yeah. to put pressure on the Brits. And, and that's probably right. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I mean, the political declaration was absolutely pathetic, as issued 
know, but it's not closed, is it? I mean, it's, no, it's not closed. It's yeah, basically, but it's yeah. basically, you know, a wish list, a bullet yeah. set of bullet points. Yeah. This has to be worked up into something that's yeah. actually cogent. In my view, hopefully, something you know um, that that points in a very clear direction. This is the kind of future you want, or you, Britain, desire, and these are. The limitations or the conditions that come with that. In other mm. words, not a blind blindfold Brexit, mm. but a very clear direction of travel. Mm. And Europe says, right, if you want to go towards Canada, that's what you'll need. And if you want to go towards an EEA style agreement, that's what you need. As opposed to bullet points of anything that could happen, yeah. which is useless. Yeah. No, but um, I think that. Um the um, I think I think that it is very easy for British people, uh, and I think that listeners to this podcast are by and large mostly British people or people in the UK focused on the UK side of things. Very easy for for, for, for such people, and I'm one of them, to lose sight of the bigger picture, which is that this is not a one versus one kind of negotiation. This is a an ultra complex moving target of with al- lots of different stakeholders yes, all indeed. of whom need to be brought uh, mm. online and that's the juggling match I mean we're good at doing that here because we mm. do it we do it a lot mm. but that doesn't mean that it's easy and, of course not um, mm. so Merkel I mean Merkel's intervention probably needs to be seen in that context and you can be absolutely damn sure that there's an awful lot of work being done behind the scenes by uh, my colleagues in the Commission and um, people in the Council, Tusk's office and so on, trying to sort of line up, well, I'm going to mix a few metaphors here, but trying to herd those cats, <laughs> line, up, line up the ducks in a row. Yeah, line the yeah. ducks up, herd the ducks, herd line the up ducks. the cats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure, and of course, Chris, you know, you're too modest to say this, but you actually know the people who are doing this very well. Uh, I won't mention any names, but you know, you know, you know how you know how it's done, and you know how hard they work. In fact, and, and what a debt of gratitude we all owe them. However, this ends up, the professionalism of the Commission and the Council, the hard work, is something we should recognise. And it's it's very interesting, if I may, a, a quick aside, that lawyers who really know their stuff like David Allen Green, like Professor Barnard at Cambridge, all stand back and say, the withdrawal agreement, you know what? Apart from the fact that there's no index and cover note, that doesn't matter. This is a very, very serious piece of brilliant legal yeah. work. No, and that, that's important because it, 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 to, 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 the, to, to those listeners who, who see, as we do, most of this as a political debate, behind that, needs to be structure and legal text and form and the commission and the council have produced an excellent piece of work. And let's remember that the chief architects of this are not lawyers. Um, lawyers will have been heavily involved yeah. but the people who negotiated this are yeah. not lawyers. Exactly um, but the whole team, the, the team yeah. effort, team commission, team council yeah. have produced and worked incredibly hard and we should all say look you know you want to leave a Europe that can do such good work? You're mad. Do you want these people against you? Why don't you want these people for exactly, you? Exactly. I mean, this is well. They totally- are. They were. They were us. They. They. They were Team UK. Of course they were. I'd also say that Ollie Robbins 
from the UK side. And I can tell you some back backstories about how I knew Ollie back in the day for a few seconds. Go on. But um, Ollie, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't pretend to know him very well. But I used to run a pro-European dining group in the mid '90s, and he used to come along with a whole bunch of other people, including David Miliband and. You mean Clegg, he's a Remainer? And. That's on the record. Don't let, um, don't let Brexit Central hear that. No, they, they already know that. They've already, <laughs> the, the, point, the point is exactly that, Chris, is that Ollie was at Cambridge. Uh, sorry, it was at Oxford. Uh, I, think he has, I think it was called the Oxford Reform Group. Um, and it was a very interesting group of people because it had Danny Alexander, who became a Lib Dem um, MP and Chief Secretary to the Treasury. It also had Mark Littlewood. Involved and Mark Littlewood, of course, runs the IEA now and has gone completely to the dark side. And I think Ollie was involved in that. Anyway, long story short, I used to have these dinners designed to bring pro Europeans to the table from across party below the radar, anticipating um, a single currency referendum in the mid 90s. Mm. Of course, that never happened. But it's very interesting because I saw a lot of these people in their, in their younger days. Ollie was one of them, very tall, bespectacled funny, smart guy. Look, I haven't seen him since then, but I've watched his progress and I think he's got a good heart and I think he's done an incredibly good job in impossible circumstances and the attacks that he's suffered both personally in select committee and of course from, from parts of, 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 of uh, the wider mm. public has been outrageous. But he's weathered it and, and look, he's done as good a job as anyone could have done in that. Well, I mean, it's certainly not a job I would ever ever have wanted to do. But yeah, he. I, I think I think that's I think that's true. I do. I do think that's true. And I think I think it's important to um, step beyond the, the tribes here. And, and you know, I, I obviously feel very much. Um, it, it's like it's like being stuck in the middle of uh, of a divorce with your mum and dad. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm from Whitehall and I'm from the EU, and I'm I'm. I identify more strongly with the EU side for all sorts of reasons, but yeah. I also have a very strong um, sense of, I would say, solidarity with the civil servants on the UK side doing this job. I mean, Christ knows I wouldn't have wanted want to have done it, but yeah, really, really, really good work that they've all done. Yeah. Anyway, listen, we should crap on. We should think. We should start talking about it and about where it goes. So, so this is going to be uh, an interesting discussion because what we're, we're two British people. Uh, mostly British people, but we're also two classic Euro brat types. Yeah, so so my 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 disclaimer here is that here are these two um, English guys, um, but Brussels based. And now the USP of this podcast was always that we were um, offering a Brussels perspective. We were able to um, speak as non media professionals except that you are a kind of media professional so that doesn't count God, am but I? <laughs> I wish. Uh, we're not journalists no, i'm not a journalist not. Uh, i'm not media professional uh, i'm just a, a normal bloke who works in the eu so uh, what i do bring to the party and steve too and you is um quite a lot of understanding of how things work in brussels and, and how things look from brussels however that said we're now going to spend the next um up to an hour Try not to do more than an hour. You're generous with your time because I thought I'd already used up half of it. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Um, talking about the talking about the configuration of things in Westminster and and and, and where where things go now because we, we we pretty much know 
Although the, the, the maths is more complicated on the EU side in terms of the numbers and the votes and the the reality is that it's on the UK side that all the, all the, all the question marks exist. And, and we are, I mean, I'm certainly no Westminster wonk. I don't really understand what's going on here. And it would have been great to have had Steve here this evening because he does know this kind of stuff. But I yeah. think you, you're, you, well, you know, you know this stuff too. Well, that's generous of you, Chris. I mean, look, all I can say is that I've had people from London call me up this week on the back of what we're going to do on Sunday. And I've asked very blunt questions back to them to say, look, mm. what's the strategy? What, what are the tactics? How, how, how will voting down a withdrawal agreement work? What's, you know, how does it compute? So all I can offer you is what they've told me and then offer in with yeah. you, you know, some thoughts that we, we, we've picked up. So I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert, but um, I can certainly relay, I can relay some of the thinking. Well, I've, I've, had, um, I've, I've had some interesting chats with people on the London side too. So we, we can perhaps use that to plug in some of the gaps. But anyway, um, what happens now is that... Um, Either we have a summit on Sunday or not. If we have True. a summit on Sunday, then either the deal is done or not. So we're going to make a couple of assumptions here. We're going to say, okay, we're assuming that there will be a summit on Sunday. And we're assuming that that summit will give its blessing to the withdrawal agreement and political declaration. Uh, if those two things happen, what happens after that is that both legislatures then get to vote on it. So first up will probably be Westminster and the House of Commons, uh, probably quite soon, very quickly, in, yeah. in early December. Yeah. Um, Steve and I talked a bit about what would happen in the European Parliament last week, so I'm going to park that. Okay. Let's just talk about the European Parliament, uh, to, about the House of Commons. House, yeah. And the reason that we want to talk about the House of Commons is that's the path to a referendum. That's the path to stopping this thing. Yeah. It's still, I think, a very, a very shonky path, very unclear path, um, a very unlikely path, frankly. But it's still there. It's still there after all this time, after two years. And this is also something I'd like to talk about. Yeah. After all this time, we're still in the game. And arguably, we're more in the game than ever. You know, I mean, that's For that's sure. one thing I think that all of us on the Remain side, it, we are all really tired. And I think that, you know, we don't have to get too specific when we say there, there are people, there are friends of ours who are just exhausted and out of energy and will sure. and you know I, I, I mean it's awful yeah but. look I mean that's a really important point I think and I, I won't take you off the, off your train of thought there but the reason why we all put so much in is because it's personal and we feel it deeply and there are limits and we yeah. go up and we go down mm. we have cycles mm. I do I do there's some yeah. days there's some weeks where I just I, I mean I feel very very down about this yeah. and 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 that's important because I think listeners will appreciate this isn't just some political game it may be a p political game to people like you know Jacob Rees-Mogg it's not it's not to millions of people no. and our friends like Laura and others mm. you know have been struggling and fighting and seeing this problem for what it is this mm. is about real people real lives children's families yeah. and futures and 
Yeah, we go up and we go down because we feel this stuff. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are all of us. We have our ups and we have our downs and we have the good weeks and bad weeks. Yeah. And ironically, last week, I've had ups and downs within days. Mm. Um, and I guess it's a bit like, you know, we rely on the tribe. We rely on each other to pull ourselves up, keep yeah. ourselves going. It is all about keeping going. Yeah. And, and I think we are. And I think you're right, Chris. The opportunities are still open to us to turn this around. Yeah, they're still there, and, and you know it's not just a question of of keeping going. We, we, not only have we kept going, but we have made a massive difference. I think of course, seven hundred fifty thousand people in London, and, and that march. But it's that not, is the second biggest march in British political history. Yes. And not just that. When you look at the uh, look at the BBC this week, there, there seems to have been a change. I, I feel, I feel it. There's a change. Look at there was a a story in the BBC News um, reporting on. Uh, something that we'll come to later under lie of the week, but yeah, we yeah. might as well preempt it a little bit. Cue jumping, <laughs> and yeah. th- and that story did the usual thing, which was produce um, the line to take from number ten. But then it did something extraordinary, which is that it included an interview with Mike Goldsworthy, and it in- included spoken to him tonight. Funnily yeah, enough, and, and it included um, which it, is brilliant. It included way. input from. Um, um, Laura's uh, outfit mm. included uh, input from um, British and Europe. It included stuff from Final Say for All. Uh, it, it included Tanya. Tanya Bootman. Fantastic! I'm it, really pleased. I, I missed. I missed the follow up to that, Chris. But I'm absolutely delighted they were all invited into comment because that would never have happened even a month ago. No. So you know. So the, the, no, ne, never, never let it be said that we're not making a difference. Of course, I mean, I'm with you on that. Of course, we're making a difference, and I think. You know the the momentum is with us, yeah. But on an individual level, sometimes yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. down. Sometimes no, you but feel I'm, up. I'm, I'm, but by and large, I think you're right. The tide is rising. Yeah. The, the crest is building. The momentum is building, and we've got to keep this going. Yeah. And, and the point I want to make is yeah, that, sorry, um, yeah. is that um, we are making a difference. And when it looks really bleak, when it looks uh, as it does all the time, as if there's no way we can pull this out of the fire. Even then, it's really important to remember that we, we will have made a difference also to what happens immediately after the 29th of March. Exactly. And as soon as we get stuck into the next phase of the process, say we do leave, yes. Um, then we immediately start working on the new partnership and uh, also asking serious questions about where, where the UK is heading. And I think that um, that question has been totally, totally... The, the way in which that question is being discussed and addressed, is it, it, it has been completely changed by our movement. I agree with that completely. Uh, and, to, and to put it in a different way, even if we do leave... And let's face it, and even if is a great statement to make. Yeah. Even if we do leave 29th of March, what's been growing in the last two years cannot now be stopped. No, no, exactly. And it will affect not only transition, but the options yeah. during transition, which could lead us back to where we want to be. It may not happen well, quickly, but let's face it, it will never happen unless we have what we're doing now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, not only 
this isn't relevant only for a discussion about the UK's place in Europe. It's also relevant for the discussion that we're going to have about the UK and UK politics, because that sure. that isn't going away either. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, I, I mean, people say, you know, why do you want a people's vote? And I say, look, it's necessary and not sufficient. It stops the bleeding. It doesn't heal yeah, the patient. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. no, no future strategy can be built purely on we have a people's vote, we win it, and we just sort of walk away and just carry on as, nor- as normal. That's never going to happen. We recognise 2016 was an absolute break. And, you know, fears, worries, concerns bubbled up, broke through. There's no going back. And so any, any future Britain has to take that into account. So for, for my money, people's vote, referendum, it's just a necessary and not sufficient step. And there's got to be a lot more that follows yeah. from that. So let's talk a bit about people's yeah. vote. So, yeah. um, so, so the withdrawal agreement goes to Parliament. Yeah. Um, Parliament votes on whether or not to accept it. Um, the government at the moment is working really hard on um, trying to get enough people behind it. Um, the maths on that seems to keep changing. People seem to have, I mean, in, immediately after the deal was announced, everybody was saying she doesn't have the votes. The yeah. maths doesn't allow it. I mean, we saw that in the Commons. Was it was it only last week? God, yeah. It seems like yeah. years ago. Yeah. And, and it looked like this was impossible. I yeah. mean, look, she stood up, made a statement, and yeah. for an hour... Yeah, you know, and opposition rained would. upon her. She had about two two people who two two MPs who stood up yeah. and said something in favour. And 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 actually watching that live, this is my recollection. You probably covered this a lot. So, just, but my is like Burko in the chair is like sucking breath and going. I'm thinking, which pro government MP can I call now who'll say yeah. something nice yeah. about May? And none of he couldn't find that. He yeah. couldn't find one. So maybe, maybe at the time we thought, look, everyone's against her, and it was just an opportunity for everyone who was against the May deal to to chip in. Now this week, Doesn't given the same, given it? the ERG's mm. coup has failed, yeah. that maybe the momentum has swung back to May. Yeah. And we don't hear, we didn't hear last week, those who may have stood up. So, you know, what's, you know what's really odd, but perhaps very basic about this, is, you know, you watch politics, and this is very, very raw politics in my view. You watch the House of Commons, and a lot of it is, you know, follow the leader. Who's winning? Who do I follow? Where do I get preferment from? You know, is it May? Mm. Is it Mog? Mm. You know, it's a bit, there's a very animalistic herd mentality. And I suddenly felt it last week. You know, suddenly this was a bit of a lynch mob. Um, May stands up. Everybody hates her. Pile in. Oh, actually, you know what? You know, let's wait. And here's a challenger, ERG. Uh, They didn't quite do it. Let's pull back. Let's follow another leader. Maybe go back to May. There's a very animalistic set of behaviours, yeah. as well as the, as well as formal politics going on, and and you let, let's just be cognizant of that. Yeah. So um, I, I I wanted to talk a little bit about the government's comm strategy because I thought this was really interesting, and I, I was um, driving um, back to Brussels on Monday evening, and I was listening to the radio, and I don't. 
usually actually listen to Radio 4 anymore because I, I just find it too annoying. Um, which programme? So I was listening to PM, which of, of, the, of them all is probably one of the better ones. But I was it sort of works down the ladder, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> works down the ladder, you know. You know today programme, not so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, so I was listening to PM and um, they had Rory Stewart on. Um, uh, got some thoughts on him. Yeah, well... It's me too. So, um, so the line he was taking, which was not being challenged by Evan Davis, um, was was an interesting one and made me because I don't normally listen to these guys. Yeah, I'm in my Twitter bubble, if you like. Yeah, um, it made me think. Well, you know what? What about people who aren't in my Twitter bubble? What about people who do get all their stuff from Radio Four? They're going to be listening to this and they're going to be pretty much taking this as as read because the line that Rory Stewart was taking sounded superficially very plausible very glib it was like well listen you know this is a compromise this we don't we don't get everything that we want but we have to deliver on the result of the of the referendum you know on the one side you've got these ERG lunatics I'm paraphrasing yeah who 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 want us to crash out and it would be a disaster yeah. on the other hand you've got you know 10 or so MPs who would be in favor of a referendum 10 10? Only 10? Come on. Anyway, 10 or so uh, remain MMPs who want referendum, a so-called people's vote. Mm. But most of us want a, a, a compromise that gives the people what they ask for, which is an end to freedom of movement. Big red lights flashing. Hang on a minute. <laughs> That's not what people were asking for. You know, so, you know, there's that. But at the same time gives remainers what they want, which is... Um, protection from economic disruption. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not <laughs> no frictionless access to the single. No, but the way he pitched it was a pr- pr- protection from economic disruption is what he was is, is how he was pitching it. And therefore, this gives both sides a good deal of what they what want. They want. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, we should go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it sounded super plausible and glib when you just yeah. listen to this guy sort of trip it off the tongue, especially when he's not challenged on these two massive whoppers. One that leave is all about. Ending freedom of movement, which is that's what Theresa May has made it about. It's becoming what she wants to make it. But yeah, that's exactly. that's not what it was about. Who knows? All what we it was know about. is that all we know is that Lever's hijacked anti-immigrant sentiment. But that was not a major factor in the in the official Leave campaign. It may have been used by Farage's um, Leave.eu yeah. campaign, but it was not a major factor in the in the official campaign. Yeah, I mean, look, I agree with that. I mean. The problem with the referendum that was as crude as 2016 is the only conclusion you can draw from that was that on a rainy afternoon in Thursday, on a Thursday in June, a lot of people were pissed off. Yeah, exactly. That's the only conclusion I can draw from that. The inferences of why people voted the way they did are completely open, which is why the process was completely obscene and should never be repeated. And and but but I do think having gone out on the doorstep outside London into places, you know, you know, a lot of people were basically it was a it was a it was a very clear we don't like foreigners and immigration. So in the one hand he's framing um leave as being all about freedom of movement, which I dispute. I'm yeah. not disputing that they used anti-immigrant sentiment, but I am disputing that that was what it was about. 
The soul uh, thing. Yeah. And, 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 and on the other hand, he was framing Remain as being all about business continuity and, and, and sound, yeah, and which sound is economy and so on. Yeah. Which again is massively oversimplistic yeah, yeah. and completely fails to acknowledge the fact that many of us were campaigning precisely because we want to keep our freedom of movement. Of which is a massive benefit, a blessing, one of the greatest achievements of European oh, integration. I agree with that. I agree so, with that completely. Anyway, so I, I had to vent a little bit on that. So that's Please the venting. Do. But... Um, but my, 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 and this is where you can come in in a second with your yeah. Stuart comment. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. my point is that there is some very slick work being done by the number 10 comms machine to pitch this as some kind of compromise, win win yeah. compromise. Uh, and my fear is that that is going to be remarkable, that is going to be very attractive to a lot of people. A lot of people. Christ, it was attractive to me. I'm sick of this whole bloody thing. It's just because I know I know it's specious. I know it's not. I know it's false. I know it's not going to deliver on. It's, mm, it's not win-win. Mm, it's lose-lose. Mm. But my God, what a nice thing to what a nice feeling to think for a second. What wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if in March we would just put all this to bed? We moved on with our lives. We didn't sure. have that disruption. Yeah. Um, tell, tell me about tell me about. Robert well, hang Stewart. on, just just to to hear what you were saying. Um, a lot of people would. You mean a lot of. The general public or a lot of people in Westminster? Both. Okay, all right, yeah. I think, I think at this point we have, to, we have to think of Westminster as being um, a microcosm of the general public because it's quite obvious that a great many of them haven't got the first clue about the EU or any of this. So the, the bill to, to uh, pass the withdrawal agreement, I don't know if it's a bill or not, but anyway, the vote to pass or reject the withdrawal agreement hits Parliament. So now, here is where things start to get murky for me. So the that, that motion may or may not be amendable. It seems to be something that will be in the gift of the Speaker. If the Speaker... I feel that I'm talking way beyond my competence. Well, a bit like me. Shall I also talk beyond yeah. my competence? Okay, I'd be it. happy to. I mean, look... Um, my understanding is initially the government said it's going to be a straight up and down bill. So vote the bill or the resolution, defeat the resolution. And the normal way of doing things is the opposition are allowed to introduce amendments first, then the government bill is voted upon. Why? Because that allows the House to consider all the options around a piece of legislation. Mm -hmm. So the government's initial proposition, you know, straight up and down, was challenged and the Commons Procedures Committee, uh, whoever it is who decides on these things, have come back and said, well, actually, you know what, the usual way of doing things is, you know, amendments first, um, straight up and down bill last. Okay. And to our side, you'd think, yeah, that's, that's a great way forward because it means, you know, Labour and the opposition can offer all sorts of amendments that could basically make the passing of a withdrawal bill conditional upon certain requirements. So a people's, people's vote, an extension of Article 50, you know, more time, you know, basically saying, look, you've got, a, you've got a withdrawal agreement, we can't pass it unless the following, which actually is, is extremely prudent. It's basically saying, you know... Well, it's what a sensible government would do. Yeah, it's basically saying, if you can't do this, you know, you, you're mad, you know. Um, 
so that I think a few weeks ago was where all of us were at, which was to say, you know, you've, you've got to have those necessary provisions and conditions. However, everything now resolves upon the, the parliamentary arithmetic about voting down the withdrawal agreement. Um, and it, okay, so I'll just pass on, if it's okay, mm-hmm. some 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 feedback from from the guys in London who are, who are looking at this very mm-hmm. tactically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought the remain position was look, you know, amendments clearly because that gives you flexibility to demand a people's vote. Oh no, they're actually saying now today, and of course this is varying minute by minute, yeah. hour by hour, day by day. This will change if the parliamentary arithmetic arithmetic changes they mm. will demand amendments mm. first mm. but at the moment they want the straight up and down vote first which of course if you win it or you lose it that's game over so it's a very high risk strategy yeah. so if, if if you if you go to a win uh, 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 win, win, win or lose up, up and or down, down yes or no vote yeah. and it's yes that's, that's it, it. Game it's game over, over. I mean, we're done we, we're leaving we, the we, eu we, yeah we're leaving the eu and you and i chris and, and millions of others are planning Plan B, which is what do we do in transition and fight fight our way back oh, through this? I'm shit. not even thinking about right. that. Right. <laughs> so this is a this is a yeah. ma- this is an absolute nuclear massive gamble. It's a massive nuclear button that you're pressing or not pressing or threatening to press. So why why are they? Okay. So look, I may have got this wrong. I'll just try and give you what I have understood to be the reasoning, and it's all about the various factions within Parliament who have, you know, priority one, priority two which leads them to act in the following ways. ERG, I don't know how many people that is, 30 to 40 plus, want to stop May, get May out uh, first. Therefore, do not want anything that says your, um, any possibility that her withdrawal agreement is approved. So if they were to say, Yes to your deal, Mrs. May, conditional upon X, Y, and Z. No, absolutely not. The only way to kill the withdrawal agreement is to vote it down. Therefore, we cannot accept any amendments. Therefore, we will, you know. So for the, to get the ERG onto our side, an up and down vote's the only way. If we offer them the, the probability of a people's vote, they won't want that because that doesn't give them the certainty of killing May and killing the deal. So, in other words, the, the, the maths says that, that we're not going to get an amendment through, but we may defeat the other thing overall. Exactly. Right. But that can only be reasoned through by looking at the various groups. In yeah, other words, exactly. so ERG bring more people to voting down May than soft Tories and Labour bring to amendments. Okay. Right. So say we then, so, so say the withdrawal agreement is defeated. I hope it is. And it should be. Okay. What happens then? My traditional view, and this could be very unfashionable, is that most British governments who have a major piece of legislation or who lose a referendum, as Cameron did in 2016, resign, or the leader resigns. And it, I think, I think, according to what you might call the norms and traditions of the British Constitution, a British Prime Minister who has a piece of legislation, a policy, in fact, the only policy, what's May done in the last two odd years? Nothing. Except Brexit. So if her whole government 
is about Brexit. And Brexit fails in the House of Commons. I can't see how, in honour, she can res- <laughs> she can stay a minute beyond Nick. that. Look, Nick. hang on, now, Chris. Chris, all I'm saying is I'm giving you what I might call the traditional argument. And of course, what this exp- yeah, I know you're scoffing and, and 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 you know stroking your chest in amazement. But but what I'm describing is, of course, the gaps and the lacunae and the hidden the hidden problems in the British Constitution. Most of the British Constitution is based upon norms, values, traditions, behaviours, understandings between people. This is how we do things around here, don't you know? But when it's pushed, as it is now, this is this is a moment when the British Constitution will be pushed to its limit. It has been. Now, has and it will be pushed further. Now we will discover that, yes, it is possible for a British government to have a major piece of policy fail. And it's not just... You know, this isn't about policy of herding cats or doing that. This is a major policy that affects millions of people for many years. That policy fails. And yet the government says, in fact, the prime minister says, oh, that's OK, I'll just, I'll just carry, I'll carry on. on. I'm, I'm... I mean, this is insane. So it's a major piece of policy. And it seems implausible, perhaps even incredible, that a prime minister could lose a vote on such a piece of policy and still continue in office, um, both personally and also as a government. Okay, and and this, of course, I think is what's driving the Labour belief that there could be a general election if she loses the vote, which, of course, also explains, Chris, why um, the calculation is being made that the Labour Party would prefer an up-and-down vote than a series of amendments because Labour want a general election first and a people's vote second or perhaps even third sure. in the options. Sure. But, um, okay, right. So for the, my, my, my issue with this scenario is that everything we know about Theresa May, everything that she's done to date, um, suggests that she, there's no way that she's simply going to walk away from this. She sees it as her manifest destiny to deliver on Brexit and her Brexit. And um, Christ, she didn't resign after her disastrous general election. She didn't resign. True. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, how many times have we said any normal prime minister would have resigned at this point? Well, she hasn't. So, you know, I think pinning all our hopes on defeating her with that massive, gam- that massive gamble of actually losing that vote and then the hope that she walks away, and then what? I, I just don't see it. So, so what happens if? Well, so no, 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 no. So, sorry. What happens if she loses that vote and she doesn't resign? What happens then? Well, let's see how the world outside Westminster reacts. Oh. I mean, if markets tumble, if. You know, major multinationals say, right, fuck you, we're pulling out. We're now triggering the big, the big mitigation plans. Um, We then, we then see things very quickly go the wrong way. Now, I've heard this, I've heard this explained differently, but but one analogy I like is it's a bit like doctors in the old days, you know, the 19th century, where they had poisons and cures that they would try on themselves. So they would experiment upon themselves. And this is exa- exactly what May is doing. She is essentially experimenting on the British people. And she has something called Brexit, 
or the cure to Brexit, which she is slowly plunging into her vein, thinking, you know, I know how much poison I can inject, but this is a trial. And her calculation is that, you know, this is, this is okay. I, I, I can put the poison into the, into the body. But, so she will basically say, I've lost the vote, and let's see how much danger happens. But that's okay. But what does I, that mean? What does that no, mean? That means that she will have a controlled, she will have a controlled no deal experiment performed upon Britain. In other words, the TARP scenario. So she loses the vote. The vote, things go to shit. But she says, I can control that. In other words, she allows the chaos to force us to vote for her. But she says, I can then stop the chaos from happening. Does that make sense? So but I can I, poison myself. Concrete, what happens? What happens? So she well, loses the vote. What happens then? Yeah, so I'm saying the markets tumble, yeah. investments pulled back. And what does she do? Well, she then goes back to the Commons when enough pain has been suffered, okay. but so not she... enough that she has lost control. And she says, right, vote again right. for what okay. I want. Okay. So, so in other words... It's a controlled if, no deal. If, if, if she loses the vote... Yes. She, she's not going to resign. She's sim- no. simply going to wait and then come back and try all over again. Yeah. At which point, yes. Parliament's going to say, OK, fine, we've seen how bad it is. We'll, we'll. Yes. That's isn't, isn't that more likely than her walking? Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. What's, yeah, it's what I think she will do. She well, then will- why, why, would we, why should we hold out any hope for... Um, why, why should a, a straight up and down vote be in any way attractive to anybody who was hoping for a people's vote? Because they're assuming. Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying this is what I agree with, but the, the calculation is she will see. They they will say, look, the honourable thing is to resign. One, two. If you do then pursue the self harm, you know, controlled no deal, actually you will lose control of that process. In other words, she will not be able to return after the crisis, after the chaos, and win a vote. So these are two very important how, how, calculations. How so? Sorry? How wouldn't she be able to? In what way would she not be well, able to? Well, she'd just come lose back? control. So, so, what so does that think, mean? Look, ERM 1992, IMF 1976, Suez What does it mean concretely in terms of way in which the House of Commons operates? Oh, what no. Does it if mean? You, look, if she, look, if she hangs on, assume, the, assume, assume she loses the vote, yeah? Yes. It all goes to shit. She then comes back to the House and says, right, I'm going to try it a second time. Look. You know, it's either chaos or me, and people yeah. say, "You know what? It's not you." So you you think in that second, well, so but no, but at that so point, so that's the cut. The but, but no, but at that point, um, what option is there for somebody somewhere to come in and say, "Well, you know, let's have a people's vote." Well, if she performs, this because it's con- amendable also the second time. Well, so you think no, no, the second I, time? I th- the second time, I think if she comes back and she loses it, she's out. It's a general election. It's clearly failed. I don't think she can do it three times. No, but, no, I know. But what about the people's vote option? Well, maybe that's part of how she gets out of the crisis. So she she might trigger a people's yes. vote. Well, that I think is an, almost impossible given what she said. I think well, she'd rather go for a general election than a okay. people's vote. But, but but what I'm saying is, okay, if the first vote is amendable, then wouldn't the second mo- vote also be amendable? In which case, are we're we back, saying that back in, to people's vote? Yeah, but it, are we saying that it's more journey. likely that the second vote in, in 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 a second vote scenario, once the crisis is upon us, that somebody might stand up and say, "Okay, now we're introducing an." an That's also possible. 
It seems to me an extra, exceptionally high-risk strategy. Well, it is. I mean, it, it, I, so the, the up-and-down strategy depends on her doing the honourable thing, maybe, and two, having a controlled no-deal, which he loses control of, comes back for a second vote on the same issue and doesn't win it. And are we discounting the possibility of her losing a people's vote, um, uh, a confidence vote? I think that's harder for the House of Commons to, to pull off. But yeah. who knows? Look, Christ me knows. Too. Who no, knows? Look, honestly, well, okay, look, okay, look, this is yeah. how I see it. This right. is how I see it. Yeah. I think that um, I think that people are right to say that it's very tricky to see how um, an amendment for a people's vote is going to pass. Um, in in a in a in the, in that first vote, ahead of that first vote, but nevertheless, it seems to me to be the most desirable option and something that should be tried. And we should all be, we campaigners should be doing everything that we can right now to get our MPs to go to go with that. Because the risks, if we don't have that amendment at this point, the risks seem to me to be just immeasurable. Well, yes and no, because. There's there's another there's another bit which I didn't explain partly because I'm still trying to get my head around it, which is the following, which is if if you if you lose votes on the amendments, it then makes it easier for May to pull in votes to her side, and that that's the worry. How come? Because. The options of not leaving just disappear. You you can't um, if you're a moderate Tory. Okay, I see. And what you, you mean. can't you can't have the option the conditional the conditional. What you mean? Offer it becomes my deal or no deal. Exactly, because then you're forced up. If you've lost the option to think again or have a referendum, so that's where all the patriots say, "Well, you know what? We can't possibly have no deal, yeah, so we're just simply going to have to hold our nose and, and bite." Exactly. Bite so yeah. she loses. She loses that. So, or uh, she wins that, and we lose that. So, I mean, this is why the sequencing of the voting has these weird, perverse effects. Um, <sighs> so, so. On that on that basis on that calculation, that it's understandable that a number of people on the Remain side are saying no no we should go straight for a yes no vote in the first in first instance and and hope that she loses and then see what happens exactly but it's a nuclear and run option. the risk it's of, a nuclear option yeah oh Christ and and you know I mean this is where you know I hope there are people who know the House of Commons inside and out. Are walking those corridors, talking to people who absolutely know where the votes are going. Um, the good news this week, Chris, was that the DUP have pulled support for the government. I mean, that's yeah, a positive. They're abstaining, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, but they're basically denying May any form of, of effective control. That's yeah. a positive. I mean, they've they've actually started to pull support. Yeah. But this is, I mean, this is this this could all happen next week. Could yeah. it? No, not next week. No, no, the week after next. Yeah. Or could it even happen next week? Well, I mean, no. If the I, summit I approves it at the weekend. Well, I've been. My understanding is it's early December, so before they get the vote in. But it could it could literally be within the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah. We might. That might be it. That might be the game over. Yeah. Well, I mean, this round is over. 
I mean, depends how long. No, but I mean, if she wins, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's but the the medium term game about fighting our way back. Yeah, but that's that's an entirely different podcast. <laughs> of course, this is, is a, this is a stop yeah, Brexit yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah sure. I'm gonna have stop. to think very seriously yeah, about yeah, whether yeah. I want to get into a whole rejoin podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that. I mean, that this is ironic. You know, there's been all this pressure, work, all these campaigns, all this marching, but it all it's a bit like you know, point of an arrow. It all yeah, comes straight in to weeks. a vote in the House yeah. of Commons, which is why folks out there we all know go and see your MP talk yeah, to him yeah. talk to her etc listen let's move to the lie of the week because I I, I I I'm I think that we could talk about this for a very long time but I, I feel that my expertise is not sufficiently <laughs> there I'm, I'm interested in this I mean obviously I'm extremely interested in this and, and, and I think it's um, a useful exercise for I hope some of our listeners at least to talk about to talk it through so that we can try and sort of make us make sense of where this is heading. Yeah. Uh, but very many of our listeners will 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 know all of this stuff far better than I. Of course, so. yeah. So. Of course. Let's talk about lie of the week. I'm not even going to attempt to do the music. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, so many. Ways some, to some some lots of lies this week. I I stopped making notes after a while because I knew that we had a winner. But um, <laughs> let me before we get to the winner, <laughs> there are two. There are two that I want to talk about before we get to the winner. So the first one from good old David Davis. Ah. So this is what he said: If we need to leave with no deal oh, yeah, and negotiate awesome. a free trade agreement during the transition period, so be it. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. So, so Nick, have you spotted the problem with that? With that? Yeah, right. Um, transition <laughs> without an agreement. Yeah, yeah oops. Um, but you know, that's on a par with his. As soon as we, you know, as soon as we'll we'll be negotiating free trade deals with the Germans. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah hang on, David. Yeah. You were a Europe minister back in the day. There's a common commercial policy. All trade deals are conducted. At the EU level, how on earth does Britain have a free trade agreement just with Germany? Wow. That was an early clue to the stupidity of this man. Um, and that sounds a bit rude, but honestly, what else and how else do you describe David Davis? But yeah, we <laughs> having left, we will then during transition. I was like, yeah, come on, David. Uh, I really don't know. I, I mean, look. Yeah, I mean, there are two. There are only two ways of truly explaining such a statement. Either you're fucking stupid, or you're lying. Maybe he's both. Maybe he doesn't even know he's stupid. Well, my theory is that he 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 is as thick as mints. Yeah. Um, but on, in addition to that, he lives in a bubble and a bubble of um, self delusion. He, he doesn't want to hear. He's like la la la. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Oh, and I'm also thick. So this is what I think. So there you go. Can That's- I offer a, a, another comment on that? Because he mm-hmm. and um, Patterson. Yeah, Owen Patterson. You saw that? Yeah, Owen yeah. Patterson. We're, we're in yeah, the States. He was in Oklahoma, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you cover that last week? No, we didn't. But but uh, that's part of the same lie, isn't it, really, effectively? But Oklahoma also is part of a common commercial policy. It's just that. Called that, the USA. Called the USA, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so so they went over, they were in the States and um, they were on their so, so-called sort of independent, you know, backbench foray. Yeah. To so you know to the USA, it was, must have been a media stunt. Oh, it was, it was Tufton Street funded. For yeah, sure, so it was a total a bullshit thing. And so they're 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 pictured talking to the Oklahoma you know state government about signing trade deals between um, the UK and Oklahoma, which many people on Twitter pointed out a can't actually sign deals with the UK, 
and may actually suffer from the slight disadvantage of being at least a thousand miles from a port and then three thousand miles to the UK and is about one zillionth the size of the EU so good luck with that David Davis fantastic future trade policy based on that it's just an example of extremely poor comms, but that might speak to a very few ignorant people who are already convinced, but I mean, it's yeah. not work with anyone else. Um, speaking of poor comms, um, Jeremy Corbyn went on the, um, went to the rounds of the TV um, and was on Sky uh, and was asked by um, a lady called Ms. Ridge. Sophie Ridge, yeah. Sophie Ridge, who might... No, I didn't see it, but tell me. She said to him, look, the EU have said that you can't have the exact same benefits outside the EU. Oh, yes, this one. In the EU, because this is what he's been saying, of course. And Corbyn's response was, well, that's a view. That's a a view. view. That's a view. I have a different view. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I liked his... I I mean, yeah, talk about fake news and deflection and and bullshitting in public life. A view. A view. No, cakeism... Well, that's a view, actually. I'm not sure I believe in cakeism. That's just a view. Yeah. I mean, you could just say that to anything. But I mean, it, I, it, I thought that that was just, it was a beautifully perfect distilled um, example of cakeism. Um, it is. Of well, the kind that we used to get from, from the Tories sort of two years ago, and that's slightly been beaten out of them. And they're, they're still doing it, but not quite as blatantly. Well, that was a blatant piece yeah, of cakeism. it was. But, well, that's a view. So, you know, so gravity, I mean, gravity, gravity. Yeah. Is, what Chris, a depressing situation we find ourselves in, where you. you know the opposite leader of the opposition is doing this two and a half years after you know uh, the referendum. So yeah, but I, I you know I said there were two lies before we got to the big one. I, I, I thought of a, a third one that I wanted to talk about actually because this is this is quite an interesting one, quite a good one. So this was the um, the presentation the other day of Peter Lilly's report on why a so-called WTO deal, which oh, of course is not. Oh God, a deal. you saw the picture. Yeah. Um, so Peter Lilly, um, um, who 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 um, he he went on Radio Four and <laughs> said that um, it would he he could do um, a trade deal with the EU in about ten minutes because we're both starting from a position of zero tariffs. So I just want to explore this quickly a little bit. So number of issues here. Firstly, yeah, sure, at the moment, there are zero tariffs between the UK and the rest of the EU. Why? Because we're within a common external tariff. There are no tariffs within the EU, just as there are no tariffs within the UK, because we're all part of a common commercial territory, common customs union, common customs territory. Mm. Peter Lilly's argument is, well, given that that's the case, we're starting from zero tariffs, how? Why? Why would that take? Why would that be a problem? Why would? Why would it take more than ten minutes to negotiate a free trade agreement with zero tariffs? Well, firstly, free trade agreements these days are about a great deal more than tariffs, For which sure. would take an awful long time to to, to 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 negotiate. Secondly, when you're outside the common external tariff, WTO rules kick in and tariffs kick in. So you are not starting from zero. You are starting from WTO basic tariffs. If you then go to the EU and say, well, you know what, why don't we all just have zero tariffs on everything? And the EU says, yeah, that's, that's to the fine. World. That's to the world. MFN clause. Exactly. Everybody else says, well, where's our zero tariffs? Exactly. So 
the idea without to, without labouring the point, the idea that that is a ten minute negotiation is so ignorant that it can only be a case of self delusion, self self self. He's lying to himself. Yeah, I think because he's, he's not a stupid person, no. but he is an ideologue. And for him to be saying things like that, which are so obviously... I mean, you don't have to be a trade expert to get this. It's, it's so obviously false. Um, it, can only be, it can only be a case of either trying to fool people by sounding plausible but knowing that you're lying. Or more, more I think more likely... It's willful self-delusion. They, they are religious headcases. I agree. They're it, zealots. You're right. You've nailed it. It's willful self-delusion. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, believe harder, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cult. The Brexit cult, you know, doomsday yeah. cult. You know, they've got to believe this. It's true. We've heard it. And it's shocking, actually, because it's all played out in real time in the real world. It's like, I mean... I think, you know, a few years from now, people will look back on this and, my God, what the hell was going on oh, back then? So. You know, PhDs written, psychology students and conferences will be written about what the fuck's going well, on. Well, there was a superb Fintan O'Toole article in the, I mean, the Irish Times. Brilliant. You want to go to brilliant. Ireland at the moment to yeah. see what, you know, it's a brilliant piece on, yeah, it's on fantastic. the ignorance and, and stupidity of, of, of... And also the myths that are sort yeah. of building and, yeah. and swirling around and how we've got this sort of sadomasochistic, you know, needing, he, needing to be defeated in order to be vindicated. I mean, he's a brilliant piece. He's an Absolutely, he's such a brilliant writer, and he's nailed and he, it. He has, and I think he actually—it was in actually last week's New European. He he, he put it in there as well. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, should we come to the actual lie of the, the week? Big lie of the week. <laughs> I'll let you do the honors. Well, no, no. I mean, you know, jumping, <laughs> jumping for Britain, jumping for joy. Um, Q jumping. Q jumping. Yeah. So, so we're both Q jumpers, aren't we? Yeah, everyone I know is a Q jumper. Yeah, we're pretty much um, we're pretty much a community of Q jumpers. Yeah. I mean, look, it was just an obscene, horrible... It was straight out of Farage playbook. It was, it was dishonest, it was disgusting, it's targeting, it's tarnishing, so it's f- wrong. For, the, for, for, the, for, for listeners, I mean, everybody knows who, what this is, but, you know, somebody might be listening to this back, you know, who knows, yeah, Christ, somebody might sure. listen to it in a few weeks' time and yeah, have for sure, forgotten for all sure, about this. Because, sure. So this is the, in the speech that um, Theresa May gave to the CBI... Yeah, sorry, the context. pitching her pitching her uh, deal. Um, as we were saying earlier, number one selling point in her mind, apparently, of this deal is that she'll be stopping freedom of movement. In other yes. words, creating a level playing field for immigration, uh, so that there's no preferential treatment given to EU citizens over anybody else in the world. They'll be coming on a merit basis. Uh, in other, and she used the phrase, "There'll be no jumping the queue." Yeah. Now we'll no we'll no longer have you know Europeans European, jumping. Yeah, EU citizens will not. We'll, get we'll jump welcome you know you know software engineers yeah. from Bangalore. It will all be based on merit and talent. Yeah. Yeah. Brackets not something else. Yeah. So my so which exactly. is a complete so that, that, fucking it, disgusting. So here we go. As it goes. So this is this is this is now I don't think that she, I don't think it even occurred to her that this would create. A fuss that people would be offended by this. I don't think it had even occurred to her. I think she, I don't. I don't honestly think that it even occurred to her. I don't know. I really don't. Look, you remember when Nick Timothy was writing speeches for her? You know, citizens of well, nowhere. Well, it wasn't him, was it? Yeah, but well, she's absorbed this. And people, look, people who know her better than I, and who've worked with her, and people on Twitter who know her and followed her through the human rights and and the Home Office know that she's got an instinct just to be brutal about issues to do with identity, belonging, migration. 
Um, and, and I initially thought after she was absolutely eviscerated in the House of Commons last week, I felt a bit of sympathy for her. I thought, oh, yeah, that's a bit unfair. And people on Twitter said, hang on a minute. No. You know what? The way she's treated real people yeah, in desperate circumstances. Lady. Yeah, she's the hostile environment lady. Um, and you know what? What was so cunning and so brilliantly nasty and effective about the use of the expression that she used, which I won't repeat, is that it goes straight to norms of what it is, what it means to be British. Mm. We stand in line, you know, we, 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 we respect each other and people who cut in and push their way ahead and don't observe that queue at the bus stop, that's a bad person. And that's something we sort of pride ourselves on. So the fact that she used that idiom Mm-hmm. That metaphor yeah. is an immediate trigger. It's an yeah, immediate absolutely. sense of association. Yeah. And that is not unintentional. That is deliberate. And that is extremely nasty. And that's why her agenda, the Nick Timothy agenda, is so dangerous because she's using phrases and norms and yeah. associations. All Brits will rise to that. Yeah. So someone who jumps a queue, ah, they're really bad people. Fuck no, you. No, it's, it's worse than that. It, it's directly referencing the Farage poster about of, breaking. Of course point. it is. And that's why, and exactly, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, yeah. Chris. It's all part of that playbook. And that's why it's so nasty and so... Insidious. Insidious. Yeah. And, of course, people will say, look, hang on a minute. Um, the fact that Bangalore computer experts aren't coming to Britain has got nothing to do with Europe. That's because you, Britons impose limits on people yeah. coming from India. So that, that's a complete red herring. But also there's a, there's a massive difference in quality between um, what we're talking about here with EU citizens is exercising reciprocal it, fundamental rights. Exactly. And I think this is the other thing that, that may, neither May nor Cameron nor many of these people, whatever side they were on, have understood when we joined the European Union and when we, when we sorry when we joined the European Economic Community and we built a union together, this is a community. This isn't arm's length trade deals where you say, I'll give you so many computers and I'll accept so many hundred thousand, you know, uh, you know, computer engineers. You know, it's not a trade-off between goods and people. We're creating a political community with rights and obligations, opportunities and choices. And it's a bit like saying, hang on a minute, I have free movement between London and Edinburgh. Why? I'm part of a political community. Yeah. And we make, these, we make these promises to each other. We make these commitments to each other. And we bind each other by laws and all the other stuff. Hmm. And that's not the relationship we have with Australia. That's not the relationship we have hmm. with India or any other country apart from those within the EU. Now, you may... But it could you, be. It could and be. And it's not the EU that's stopping that. No, it, well, if we want to form a political union with India, let's do it. Nothing's stopping us. And if we were... But hang on, if we were to do that, we leave the European Union and we form a political community with India, fine. And that means, you know, a billion Indians come and work in... can work in the UK and 60 million Brits can go and work in... In India, but the point is, the European Union is a category different from our relationships we have with any other member state, uh, any other states in the world, and therefore talking about freedom of movement and, and immigration in the same breath is is really comparing apples and oranges. Of course, it is. But the other point that was made by Ian Dunn, and I think, is a very good and, and cogent argument, is that um, you don't solve racism. 
uh, or prejudice or discrimination by putting up new barriers. Clearly. Um, the EU's freedom of movement is not something that has to be abandoned in order to treat others more favourably. It's the opposite. It's, it's a model. Yeah. It's a model. It's a starting point that we want to then build yeah. out. It, and getting rid of that puts us all back at several steps. Yeah. We, we, it's a backwards move. It's not, yeah. you know. So the kind of people who, and you hear them a lot, the kind of people who say, well, I wanted to leave the EU because I thought that freedom of movement was discriminatory against people who are from outside the EU. They're fucking idiots. Sorry. They're just, they're fucking idiots. Yeah, Don't I mean, I look... Swearing. We haven't sworn enough this podcast. Well, I've, I've tried to, you know, raise the swearing quotient, but hopefully I'm getting up to the required level. Um, fuck! Um, but you're right, yeah. But, I mean, it was always it was always so that, you know, um, particularly the Lexeter argument, that somehow this was discrimination if we were allowing Europeans to, to come here and others not. Well, the point is we've... We're part of a political community. We're not. We're not part of a political community mm. with Mongolia or with with. And we could be, mm-hmm. um, if we want to be. But it, it, it requires raising raising the levels of integration, not lowering them. If we yeah. want to do that. But your point, I think your point was very very interesting. That that in a, what May is really doing, she's saying, if I treat everyone shit equally, that's somehow a good thing, as opposed to. We are part of a political community with shared rights and responsibilities. How can we extend that? Mm. Which is what freedom of movement offers within 28 member states and could offer more widely to other people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was a disgraceful lie, but it was, part, it was, it was, it was actually the, the one red line that does run through Theresa May, the government, and her last yeah. 10 years has been to be harsh yeah. on migration, to be harsh on people's... Freedom to move, human rights, etc. Well, I think hostile we environment. That's that's really she's she. That's her it, last it thing. It's her last redoubt. You know, she's yeah, she's it's alone. the one thing that she won't, she won't walk. I mean, she all her entire career. Um, if there's been a light motif, it's been it's been that and, exactly. And, and and we should have seen that one coming. The, the second that she became prime minister, or she that she became leader of the Tory party, we should have seen that for her. It was going to be delivering an end to freedom of movement, and that was what it was all I, going to be about. I think some of that was we were aware of it, but mm. it's the only. See, the thing is, it's something she can actually demonstrably say. She can say, you know, I have done this. She can't really say she's achieved any of the other Brexit no. so-called requirements of Brexit. As, you said, will, very, yeah, as you said earlier on, Chris, who knows what on earth Brexit was a vote for? We know it was a no. vote against. Well, she's decided generally. that's what it's for yeah. and she's going to deliver on and that. And she, as, far, as far as she's concerned, she's going to be patting herself on the back saying, well done, Theresa, good job, well done. You did it. You pushed it through. You did it. Clever I, me. Her, her eyes light up. You yeah. just watch her speeches. Yeah. They light up. I ended freedom of movement. Am I not a wonderful person? Yeah, and she, I think she, to herself, look, this is a, this is a speculation, she interprets this as defending and being, you know, hard on security. Uh, and, and it was it was uh, Lionel Barber, the FT editor, who very early on in a conference in Brussels, it was you know, three months after the referendum, he said, remember this about Theresa May. She's not a bureaucrat. She's a securitat. And that's securitat. what drives her, securitat. 
And that's what gives her her energy and her focus. And that's the only thing she knows about. She's never worked on a financial portfolio, never worked in foreign policy, but she has worked on the security, internal, home affairs. Mm. Well, she was, was she not the country's longest serving home secretary? Probably. I don't know the detail, but oh. look, I mean, that's her. But look, I thought, I thought her days were numbered last week. Mm. She's rebounded. I mean, hats off to her in this sense. She's certainly, you know, one of those, you know, weebly wobblies that never, they fall over and never somehow fall down. She somehow is bouncing back. But there must be a fine line in life between being courageous and and defiant and stupid and stubborn. And in our view, I, I think she's stupid oh, yeah. and stubborn and it's driving us over a cliff. Yeah. Listen, on that note, I think we have to end because we've run over time. Um, but this has been a really uh, interesting chat. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for stepping into the breach. Hey, thanks, Chris. Anytime, always available. And... Um, yeah, well, this time next week, we will probably know a lot more. Um, probably still know an awful lot less than we'd like to. Um, but it does feel as if it's all creeping now. Well, not, not so much creeping as rushing headlong towards the... Uh, Gotterdammerung! Yeah. <laughs> twilight of the gods. Twilight, <laughs> uh, twilight of this podcast, I think. Um, nah, keep bashing on. Uh, right. Podcast demo. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Nick. Been a pleasure as always. Um, And uh, we'll be back next week, uh, hopefully with Steve. We hope. um, We will be talking about what happened at the weekend and uh, who knows what else we'll be talking about. All right. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Goodbye, all.